Hi, everyone. Welcome to Nutanix Weekly. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. I've got uh, Harvey Green and Jira Cox with me. Harvey, how's it going? I am doing well. Just a few pounds bigger. A few pounds bigger. Oh, man. I, I've had such a whirlwind of a day. I feel like the holiday was, well, not yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> like the long weekend was not yesterday. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And got Jira Cox with us still in his layer in his basement and his that's not a basement, is it? Is it a basement? Oh, correct, not a not a basement. Okay. I could tell from the window that you probably weren't in a basement. <laughs> maybe. Maybe a walkout basement. And he's got a, the, his uh most uh recent, I guess, maybe Nutanix shirt on. What's that one got on it? What's what's under the word Nutanix there? Oh, this was for a little internal training team. So we set up some uh some internal teams and all the team leaders got a got a t-shirt. So they threw a picture of uh Little superhero on it. So, is that Cam Nutanix? Like Cam Newton Nutanix? <laughs> for our for our listeners, it's a picture of a guy with his shirt spread open with the Nutanix logo. <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to make a joke about Cam Newton, but it didn't work out. Okay, sorry. I don't. I don't. I probably and I I failed to get it too. So my fault. That's all right. You didn't. You're not missing much. <laughs> Well, Jaira and Harvey brought forth a uh, article today from the Nutanix blog. The name of it is Objects 3.3, Improved Efficiency and Time to Value uh, by Phil Gilbert from uh, 29th of November. So that's like today. That's, that's today. That is today. Hot off the presses. Hot off the presses. I, well, if, if people even know what presses are anymore, right? Like our presses, our presses <laughs> right. still a thing. I, I was at a birthday party for one of my kids' friends turning eight or nine. And after the after the happy birthday song, right? Like like we all used to as a kid, they sang all the extra verses, right? Like and see we do on channel two. And I was like, I asked the parents, I'm like, do your kids know what channels are? Because my kids have no clue what channels are. They have no idea what these words even mean. Like, what is channel two? And they all laughed because they were like, we had never thought about it that way. <laughs> yeah. That, like, my kids uh, know like- the one remote that goes to Amazon and Netflix and Plex, and that's it. Yep. But that's like trying to discuss dial tone with them. <laughs> what is that? Yeah. You guys know when uh, whenever the soft phones came out, they actually had to invent dial tone for the soft phones because by default, it didn't have it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when, when I worked for my first job, we did our like digital PBX to VoIP transition. And someone told me like, yeah, the handset is just playing the dial tone like MP3 or wave. It, it is. It's an MP3. It's not going to the network. I'm like, whoa, that just blew my mind, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're the if, same age, Harvey. So I just, I know, but if or, dial tone wasn't bad enough, right? We had a dial tone MP3. And, and so not only are the kids saying, what's dial tone? They're like, what's an MP3? <laughs> You're saying you feel old. We're like the same age, man. So I just, I'm maybe I'm more immune to the effects of feeling old. <laughs> Yeah, you must be. <laughs> and, and I'm sure listeners don't want to hear us talk about it too much, but just think about how much technology has changed in our generation. It's, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I heard a I heard an interesting study that was talking about how, you know, Gen X and millennials and all that all that jazz and Zoomers, like the traditional age based grouping, <clears throat> actually loses value um, uh, for for uh, whatever, not, not tiering, but binning, right? And it's actually more pertinent to use, when did you discover the internet, right? Were you like 
the eighties generation of internet, well, like BBSs, were you mid nineties with like dial up transitioning to like initial broadband? Were you like two thousands? And, and that regardless of age has much stronger correlation with like how you will relate to your technological peers. Yeah. So it's probably timing and then how open you were to the concepts that came with it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If you can remember like the bulletin board days, right. You're a different generation of internet user than like MySpace days. Yeah. Well, and, and question for you guys, do you like, did you at some point feel like you were going to be always an adopter of whatever the latest greatest thing was, or have you got to the point where you're like, I don't want anymore. I like it where it is right now. And I don't want it to change. Uh, <laughs> that's a hard question. I mean, I, I don't, as a technologist, I don't think I ever want to feel like number two, but there are times that I feel like number two. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a few areas of my life where I, uh, I use a bit less like chewing gum and twine, right? Like I no longer like <laughs> flash my, uh, my internet router. Right. And, or, you know, um, there's certain things that I need stability from that. I don't want to hear about from like my family members at two in the afternoon about like, Hey, this thing crashed, you know? So it encouraged me to do more robust engineering with the technology in my life. Yeah, I, I can see that. I mean, it, I'm, I am sort of, sort of that way for, I'm, well, I'm definitely that way for other people. I am sort of the opposite for me. Um, like I was telling you guys about right before we jumped on to record, um, I I had uh, a few little issues I was dealing with with Windows 11. And so I just wiped it and uh, started over. And I did that, you know, very much within the course of a day. And here I am back on that same machine and I don't have the little issues. And so that, that was a good exercise, but um, I, I kind of pride myself on being able to do stuff like that. <laughs> By today's standards, this is a great example. What does wipe it mean? Did you actually format the hard drive and put the OS back down or did you hit the reset my machine button? <laughs> So um, I I did hit the reset my machine button, but I did tell it to wipe all the settings and files and all of that. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I I do come from the day where you did have to go break out the 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 CD or set of CDs. But see, uh, to do that. if you know how to do it from the CDs, do you trust the whole reset system? I have a hard time. Well, so you no longer have a choice. Because you don't get a CD. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you weigh the convenience versus the cleanliness of it. Would yeah. I rather just wipe out the, at least the partition table and reinstall my OS? Yes. Is there something really nice about hitting the reset, delete everything except the core files um, button and having it back up and somewhat functional in 30 minutes? Um, that's, yep. it's hard to... <laughs> And it's hard to resist that level of convenience if you think it'll be good enough. And, and Jira, to your point, I did have it go and download a fresh copy. <laughs> See, there you go. That's that's what I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm all Mac, right? But like, I can like wipe the hard drive and at the BIOS level, I can go download a fresh OS from the internet. So like, I guarantee it's totally wiped. That machine couldn't boot. Totally fresh OS laid back down and yep. that'll, that'll trust. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Be more off topic. Right. Way more off topic. 
You know, I, I'll finish my part of that topic by saying this. Every time there's new evolutions in technology, the people around me, some of them in my household, it's like starting over. And so maybe oh I can adopt the newest, latest, greatest technology or maybe the whole new concept that comes with it. It's just that now I'm having to re-evolve those around me. And sometimes I wish it would just stay still at least long enough for me to get some some momentum out of what happened before so that I'm not now trying to re-educate totally different concept to replace the previous concept. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of same way. Like I say, uh, you know, as, as soon as I have access to those things, I will try them. And, uh, I mean, like the windows 11 example, if I don't like what's happening, I'll wipe it and then I'll try again. And if I don't like it by the end of that, then I move on with something else. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of new features you can get just by installing updates. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> Objects 3.3, Improved Efficiency and Time to Value in Nutanix. So, Jaira, can you re-educate some of us on what Objects in general is? Totally. So, Objects is uh, is the name of our functionality for on-prem S3 storage. S3 storage, um, you know, invented by Amazon, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, something like that, um, back when the, when the earth was young, um, for, you know, storing large data sets uh, at scale, with web native technologies, right? So the way, you know, NFS writes over the network as a network file system, um, the way SMB writes over, you know, to a Windows share, <clears throat> uh, to like a Windows file server uh, that your client speaks. <clears throat> the web age, right, where I can put it in place via like an API request and do like an HTTP upload, download, and then my client can go, you know, download it, right? So I can store like website images that way store backup data that way I could store um, you know it's its own it's its own file system right so I could store anything records uh, log data you know tens of thousands of files of whatever I want vast scale uh, available to me but it's uh, it's fundamentally for that kind of a um, web-based you know upload download kind of a format and so so with this 3.3 right which you can get if you're running objects now just by go running your uh, lifecycle manager to pull down the latest version and and uh, automate that upgrade for you. Some updates here for you uh, that you'll get are you you've already had in uh, Object Three Two I think it was the ability to tier out older data to AWS, so you can have a, a data store on prem, keep only the most recent data, send older data out to uh, public cloud if you wanted to. With this release, we also add Azure to that compatibility. So now you can send it up to um, to S3 in AWS, or I believe it's Azure Blob up in Azure. <clears throat> so Jaira, I was with a client this morning that's got a lot of video, police camera video. Yeah. They can use this technology to store it in mass. And when it gets to a certain point where they got to keep it even longer and they run out of room or it's more cost effective to put in the cloud, this is going to allow them to aggregate it or, or push it up to the cloud and they've got the best of both, the on-premises part of storing it, as well as the scalability of the cloud to store it in the same format. Totally. Yeah. And, and video footage can be a fantastic use case for that, right? Because it's large, it's already compressed, right? We we often care about, it's, it's often, uh, you know, written once and like read rarely, right? Um, only if you're scanning back, you know, to scan for motion or something like that. 
And so, uh, yeah, usually that's a data type that seeks for like the most cost effective, you know, lowest cost per gig type of functionality. And so, yeah, objects, uh, S3 storage is a fantastic use case, use case for that. And if I had very, very long retention requirements, yeah, I would want to make sure I had, um, you know, the, uh, the most optimized place to put that right now. Don't count objects out for even that whole workload, right? Like, you know, get your own TCO study because it's actually, it's actually even cost competitive against you. Uh, using public cloud, but you know, get, use your own numbers right and do the, do your own study. Make sure that you're using the most effective storage location for that. Well, and that was the complaint this morning in the meeting is that you know sticking it out in uh, AWS solved a lot of problems, but it still got expensive over time. Totally right, and then also you know all the traditional stuff around using public cloud, right? Cost of access for retrieval, uh, transit in and out, you know. Um, and then of course it's just, it's, uh, there could be latency, right. If you needed to scan for it remotely compared to, it could be, you know, in the next room, if it ran on Nutanix. Yeah. And, and dumb question for me, how does this change? I mean, do you still back this stuff up? Do you replicate it somewhere else or is it somewhat resistant, resilient where it's resting here? Then do you maybe replicate that to another Nutanix, uh, cluster somewhere else? Is that common? So it, yeah. So it's actually super resilient in, in a lot of ways, right? Not only like, all of the foundational goodness of AOS, right? With the rapid rebuilds and software-defined storage, um, scale out, everything that we do for all the data we ever host. On top of that, S3 itself supports stuff like the worm functionality. So write once, read many, and legal compliance. So with, with S3 data, you can even get to a point on an ETNX cluster where you know that data really truly is immutable. No one can delete it before it hits its retention lock of whatever you want, three years, seven years, whatever you're you're mandated for there. So usually if you need a, a multi-site availability, that's going to be your application, right? You don't typically back it up and then restore it somewhere else, but you can just replicate it uh, or write it to both places if you wanted to. Yeah. So Harvey, this first announcement is about not only being integrated with Amazon, but also integrated with Azure. Any additional points you think we ought to make there? Yeah, I mean, this is just Nutanix continuing their journey, right? This, you know, there were a lot of features that were set up uh, with Amazon that were ready. Uh, and then there were some things in Azure that lagged behind some because the integration needed to be written there and some because uh, Azure didn't have all of the same feature parity uh, with what Amazon had in place already. So uh, glad that everyone is getting back together and, and working again. And this is uh, you know some fruits of that labor so that you have options available to you. Yeah. Well, I think we don't forget, like depending on how you want to use it, it can even be your backup storage location, right? So like, think about that. If you were using something as your Veeam target, as your Haiku target, would you think of that as needing its own backup, right? Probably not. You would simply have a second copy of your backups if you wanted like an offsite copy of that data. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's like we talked about in several of the recent podcasts where you have best of breed Nutanix, uh, in this case, objects now able to talk to the public cloud infrastructure, which has the scalability that most of us long for. Uh, you take those two things and mix them together. And now you've got best solution for customer in question. Yeah. Um, next section talks about improved time to value for analytics. Dyra, what's this uh, announcement related to? So the 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 short version is supporting that S three select protocol. But what that what that really means is, um, 
in in my super layman's mind is like I can request parts of a file, right? So if the data, this blog article says semi-structured, I think it's a good way to good way to think about it. If it's like a CSV file, rather than say I want that CSV file back, like customer records, this is saying I can make an API request or a call that says send me back just the rows in that spreadsheet where the customer country equals USA, right? Or something like that. I can get back a subset of the data, which is within perhaps a, a single file, rather than have to pull down the entire file, just send me back what I want. Um, since we support stuff like uh, Splunk Smart Store, like sending all my analytics and logs and security data to an S3 storage location, well, now I could say, just send me back the logs from that one client or send me back uh, you know, website hits matching this source IP address. Um, and and just give me that back faster. So faster retrieval of data without, and less uh, traversal as well. Like less data has to come across the wire. And, and that's all doable through APIs. Does Nutanix provide the front end for this or that's up to you to the application provider or you to write the front end for the API integration? So I would think of it more like... Um, you know, the same way like you would deploy files on Nutanix as a as a NAS, right? To be a shared file storage. We rarely are, Nutanix is almost never the client for that, right? We're not mounting those file shares and sending our data to it. That's for like your workstations to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing here, like an S3 storage is for your applications to talk to that are re- sending and receiving that S3 data. So they'll usually be the one, maybe a body cam data, you know, writing that data in a structured format um, now that client, which is an S3 supported client can now pull back just the data it wants to from like camera one, two, three or whatever. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's super timely. We were having some of these conversations this morning and, you know, we're talking about what Nutanix brings to the mix above and beyond hyperconverge, uh, in terms of solving problems for people. Yeah. Harvey, any, uh, any things you want to comment about on this section, the improved time to value piece? No, I mean, I think you guys hit it pretty well. This is just better, faster by doing, using the technology to have less come across and be more uh, specific around what you're getting. And Jiver, the third of the three points made in this article is the ingest large volumes of data efficiently. Help us understand that that piece. Yeah, so this is is, um, talking about uh, time to move data down to our erasure coded tier. So erasure coding, um, unlike traditional workloads, right, where we'll simply write two copies or three copies, RF2, RF3, in our parlance of storing data. Um, we also support erasure coding, right, where if it's cold data, it's, you know, especially if it's only been written, written once and isn't going to get updated, then we'll erasure code it, right? We can actually store less than two full copies, but still be able to recreate the data if we had, say, a disk failure or a node failure. So there's no risk added to the data, but we can also give you back more usable space. Um, since objects is one of our, in theory, like largest scalable workloads, right? You can get to like a multi-petabyte objects workload quite easily. Um, then if I needed to RF2 that full data, that's a lot of capacity. If I can ECX it faster, right? If I can erasure code it faster, then I get more usable space back on the cluster, right? So this talks about doing it seven times faster. Usually that that ECX threshold is commonly one week, right? So after it's been one week written cold, then we'll move it from RF2 down to erasure coded. Seven X faster, you can imagine this sounds to me like I think it's happening after about one business day, one, one uh, calendar day actually, right? So 24 hours. 
So um, doing that faster means I now have six more days worth of capacity of ingest, right? Whatever my rate is, right? If I'm doing 100 terabytes a day, that's 600 terabytes usable that I just got back from the cluster. So erasure coding, I, I think of it as like a hipster raid almost. It's <laughs> not disk based. It's it's data block based, right? So rather than rather than saying it's it's disks one, two, three, four, and disk five is all parity, or even distributed parity, it's more like I wrote pieces of data A, B, C, D, and then I wrote a fifth piece of data data you know E that is enough to reconstruct any of those missing pieces if I needed to but I can do that at like the one megabyte level or whatever you want to do for your granularity. All right. So pronounce it for me again, but slow. Erasure coding. <laughs> eraser coding. Erasure coding. Yep. You, you, you coding. Yep. I have never understood what that was in all this it's, time. Yeah. <laughs> say it real fast and move on. Nobody ever asked. <laughs> so so, because right, because remember, RAID is the redundant array of uh, independent disks. Yeah. And so, erasure coding doesn't care about the underlying disk geometry. It occurs at the data level, right? So, it's saying if I write, to oh, use a terrible analogy that probably will make every actual engineer on the call like cry, if I wrote like Word document one, two, three, four, and then Word document five with like a bitwise math, it's still, you know, a differencing. Um, uh, what is it? Is that a binary XOR? I'm sorry. Don't, don't, don't email me. Um, you know, <laughs> math so I can reconstruct the missing piece of data, but it's occurring at the data level, not the disk level. Yeah. It's enough, like a synopsis of what was written enough to put it back if necessary. Mm -hmm. Is it identical to what needs to go back or is it just enough to get the general idea? So it's also, this is all in the Nutanix Bible. Um, we'll even adjust the erasure coding usually we'll say like strip size versus uh with raid you know there, there were all the the hard coded we memorized like raid zero raid one raid five raid ten <clears throat> raid six um with erasure coding typically people refer to like strip sizes of like a two plus one a four plus one strip size and that refers to if i do a rate if i do erasure coding four plus one then it's gonna be the same thing it's gonna be four actual data bits and then a fifth uh, parity bit, right? That I would use to reconstruct any one of those missing bits. So 20% overhead for my, uh, uh, you know, redundancy, redundancy data, right? The parity data. Parity data. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, no, that was, that was worth the price of admission right there. There you go. Uh, Harvey thoughts, comments. On <laughs> uh, he, um, concept. he explained it well. Um, how it works in my head is kind of how he explained it. It's probably a little different in my head, but I'll, I'll leave it at how he explained it. Uh, it is just not at the disk level. It's at the, the data level. So it's uh, much, much closer. And uh, you're much better off in a failure situation since you don't have to have all the necessary disks in order to make that work. And, and all of this around objects is a way to conveniently store a massive amount of data and be able to access it and move it around and not overconsume the disk subsystem. And that's basically objects in a nutshell, and it just keeps getting better. Totally. Yeah. Yes. That's, a, that's a fantastic summary. Yeah. Fantastic summary. Of course. Thank you for helping me understand that. Oh, of course, man. Well, uh, guys, I guess that's it. I think we've covered this blog. Uh, Jaira, 
any uh, additional topics or comments or concepts you want to bring up? That that'll do it for me. Um, as always, you can you can kick the tires on objects on the Nutanix test drive. Yeah, we should always bring that up. Uh, the ability to do a test drive with Nutanix and the, you know just that functionality as a way to get engaged and learn how the technologies work firsthand. That's it's amazing that we have that, and we've had a whole podcast on that just topic alone. But um, the fact that Nutanix brings you know real time lab actions for their customers and partners is, is extremely valuable. Speaking of labs, Harvey, you got a workshop coming up uh, sometime soon, right? I do. It is two days away. <laughs> Sounds so. like good registrations. I, uh, again, met with a client this morning. I'll make sure that they get, uh, get invited to that one as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that I think, I, I say think, I think this one might be our last one for 2021. Uh, but we'll see. Um, there was definitely lots of demand for this. So uh, I don't think we'll fit another one in, but we'll, we'll see what happens after tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on on a Monday after Thanksgiving and uh, look forward to what you guys bring next week to talk about. Cool. Talk to you then. Absolutely. Thanks, guys.